And now, now finally we have a technology that is also accessible. Because just think, in the 90s, a virtual reality headset costed around $90,000. One. $90,000. At the moment, in our products, in our solutions, we are using a headset that costs $200. Well, hello, hello, it's DeAndre, and this is The Pioneer Show, the show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are creating their own trails and creating their own lives, so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. This is episode eight, and I'm your host, Andre Delker. You can find me at It's DeAndre on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as the show at Pioneer Show on Instagram. Before I go on and explain who today's guest is, I would really, really like to thank Marcin for the introduction. With us today, we have Valentino Megale. Valentino is the founder of Softcare Studios, a company that launched Tommy Game, a VR game that is disrupting healthcare. I'll repeat it, VR that is disrupting healthcare. We go all over the place from the aspects of VR and AR in today's society, all the way to the impact of VR and the porn industry. I must say that this was one of my favorite episodes so far. I don't want to take up more of your time, so let's jump into the show with my man, Valentino. Welcome, Valentino. How are you? Good. Thank you, André. And how are you? <laughs> all good, all good. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Pioneer Show. Um, it's a great pleasure having you here once again. Thank you for marching for the introduction. So, Valentino, for people who don't know who you are, who are you? Yeah, I'm uh, Valentino Megale. I am, am a PhD in neuropharmacology. And uh, at the moment, I'm the CEO of a digital health company that is called uh, Softcare Studios where we are working using virtual reality and artificial intelligence in order to improve the patient's experience during therapy and during hospitalization. So we are using these new innovative technologies, supporting each other to uh, change and improve the approach that we have to patients during therapy. Uh, an approach that uh, takes into account not only the clinical data, not only the, the clinical idea of their well-being, but also their psycho-emotional needs, their social needs. So patients uh, experience during therapy extreme conditions. And uh, obviously, uh, they definitely need a holistic support. And today we have the technology, the digital technology, that is able to treat and support them in these details, you know, in these parts of the therapy. And what's that technology right now? What's, what are you building specifically? Um, I just want to, to make an example. Okay. Um, patients um, during therapy and during hospitalization are uh, treated with uh, painkillers, for example, for pain management. They are treated with sed sedatives, so with anxiolytics and with other kind of drugs that are used to reduce their stress and make them more collaborative with doctors. So today we can do that without using drugs or maybe reducing the utilization of drugs using digital technologies, such as, for example, virtual reality. So virtual reality is definitely not only an entertainment technology. It's not just a device that you put to see uh, 360 degrees videos on YouTube on see virtual reality games. It's something more. There is more science behind of that. Mm -hmm. And first of all, a cognitive tool. So it's able to have a, a very important impact on the psycho-emotional balance of the person. So it can be used to entertain, but it can be used to relax people, to reduce the stress, 
to distract them, but distraction is very superficial element of, of all the story. It can be used to reduce the stress, the anxia, the anxiety, and the pain perception of people during therapy without using drugs. And this is not something new. This is something that is studied in the last 40, 50 years of academic research. Now it's going on the market. Wait, you said 40 or 50? Five zero? Five, five zero, exactly. Because the first headset has been uh, studied and developed in the early 50s uh, by the, the U.S. Army. And since then, the, the academic researchers in the universities studied how virtual reality impacts on human cognitive uh, uh, dynamics, how it impacts on uh, how we think, how we perceive the world, and how we experience the world. So there is a, a huge amount of research, of academic research, showing the effects of this technology. Mm-hmm. And now, now, finally, we have a technology that is also accessible. Because just think, in the 90s, mm-hmm. a virtual reality headset costed around $90,000, one. $90,000. At the moment, in our projects, in our solutions, we are using a headset that costs $200 which is standalone, which is not wired to computers, which uh, do not require um, a smartphone, for example. It's a standalone. It's oh, a standalone VR heart headset for that little? $200. I don't know if I can say the name of the, the company, but definitely yes. Uh, we are using uh, the news. So this is the year of the standalone companies, of the standalone VR headsets. And every company will deliver his own solution. And that's great because just a few years ago, I was saying to people, yeah, uh, in future, uh, I believe that we will bring with, our, with ourselves infinite digital worlds mm-hmm. in our hands, just traveling, just like we do using uh, notebooks or smartphones. And the time has come. Now we have standalone smart, uh, headsets that we can bring wherever. And we can show digital worlds to everybody, and this is this is amazing. This is, this opens great opportunities because now it's time to use all the knowledge matured in academia to provide not only entertainment to provide value to people. For example, in digital health. Well, you you, you go got into some interesting ideas that I would like to talk to you. First of all. So you said that this is at least this year and probably the next, this is the era, let's call it probably era of the standalone VR headsets, right? Yeah. So the main, I would like to get in closer into that information. So you're Uh telling me that in in theory, but in action practice, companies are now, now have the exact technology to eventually go on and build their own VR headsets without any kind of smartphone and use of any other underlying technology? Is that it? What, what I'm saying is that this year, uh, starting this year, we will have the the good hardware platform, the good VR headsets mm-hmm. that are applicable and that are scalable to very different fields because they are very affordable with respect to the past. So we have very different companies, Oculus, HTC Vive, Sony, and and others. And uh, basically, the next challenge is not only the hardware. Obviously, the hardware will be improved. It's always improvable. It will be it will become thinner. 
mm-hmm. even cheaper, the performance will improve. But the next challenge, the very challenge is the content, is the software. The company of the VR companies of the future will focus on the software because there is a lot of research and a lot of knowledge behind. And we now have the opportunity to deliver content that are impactful on society, on education, on training, on digital health, on manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great, how do you say it? I think it's a great upgrade on current situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Just think that, that, that this wave of revolution, of VR revolution, started in 2012, when the first Oculus Rift was delivered on the market, thanks mm-hmm. to Starter and thanks to the guys like Palmer Lucky. And in that period, the headset was heavy, expensive, expensive, was linked to a more expensive computer. So it was a very tricky situation. Now we have the standalone one, and it's amazing. You know, I, I, I think right now until today, I've only used VR like four or five times mm-hmm. and was all, always in trade shows. And I mean, at least for me, I've never felt like I was fully merged in the situation, you know? Okay, okay sure. It was always very, a very either amateur or poor quality imagery, even mm-hmm. though the images were incredible. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't know. I, I, so you're... Is the technology up to speed right now? Can you stream VR in 4K or something like that where the you can actually trick the brain that's thinking that's seeing something real? So um, let me make uh, a little description about the technology. So okay. what we call uh, immersion is basically how we deliver the virtual reality content through technology. Mm-hmm. depends from very different factors. It depends from the quality of the headset, from the quality of graphics, from the resolution, definitely. So the resolution is going to be better from 4K to 8K, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, it's dependent from the audio, from 3D audio. But the most important thing is that the, all the stimuli has to be delivered in a coherent way. That's to say the timing of the visual stimuli, the timing of the sound stimuli, they need to be precisely delivered in a coherent way to the user. They have to resemble the realistic environment. And when you when you experience a content that is poor designed or even very well designed, but the stimuli are not provided very well, you the immersion just fell because you understand that it's something not real. You understand that it's something mm-hmm. not completely uh, realistic. But uh, just one thing, when um, we need to understand how our brain works. When you perceive the world, you perceive the world on a two level. Okay. On a first level, you perceive the world because you know that you are perceiving the world, is, is the, the conscious part of our perception. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when you try virtual reality, you can even understand that it's not real. Obviously, you are sitting uh, on, on your chair and you are, under, you are experiencing the roller coaster. You know that it's not real. Okay. And you can even hear other people talking to you from the external world. So obviously, you know it's not real. But there is another layer mm-hmm. of the perception. So there is a wall amount of stimuli. Mm-hmm. that are perceived and processed by your body, by your brain, even if you do not know that it is occurring. 
So uh, you are processing a lot of data without your consciousness. It's an unconscious and voluntary perception part of, of the world story. And what is important is the, in, in this part is that these stimuli are processed without your knowledge and they have an effect on your body. They have a psychophysiological effect on your body. So for example, if you are uh, experiencing a roller coaster in VR, you know it's not real, but your body perceives it as real. Your heartbeat increases, your respiratory rate increases, and you have even um, experienced the so-called motion sickness. Mm-hmm. That is not exactly a natural uh, and a good thing in virtual reality because it's, it's coming from a bad design of the, of the experience. It's not linked to virtual reality, but a bad design of the, of the environment. But what I want to know, uh, what I want to say to you is that your body reacts uh, independently from your consciousness. And uh, this stimuli can guide your body and your brain into states of sickness or well-being. This is the part thing. So you can experience, like, like a, so basically you're saying that you can experience motion sickness mm-hmm. even if you're sitting down. Yes, even if you're uh, sitting down. Uh, the only, the only um, situation when I tested you, you are not going to experience motion sickness is when you are lying on the bed. And this is something that depends on how our brain is wired and how it works. But if you are sitting, you are still experience motion sickness. Definitely yes. You are not going to fall, but you are experiencing motion sickness. So what I want to say is that it's not important that you believe or not it's real. It's important how much real it seems to your brain. Because your brain is able to determine states of sickness and well-being in your body mm-hmm. without your knowledge and without your control. So virtual reality is, first of all, dedicated to this part of the brain. Obviously. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you by this, but one of the things that you were just saying, so so basically you can trick your brain into feeling this. And this is actually something that on an intellectual level, I'm very interested. So when you talk about tricking the brain that something is happening, how bad can you trick the brain to figuring out that or to... um, How do you say it? So imagine this. Mm -hmm. How long until we as humans can get tricked by VR or AR and people start thinking that we're in the matrix? Okay, okay. Um, So it's a very interesting question, obviously, because matrix is definitely linked with all this world of virtual reality, science fiction, (laughs) analyzed and processed a lot of virtual reality. So... Uh, let me tell you one thing, that our brain is wired on the basis of how real reality works. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, where, it's wired on the basis of how our senses work. Okay. So um, just like for our muscles, the, the, the stimuli that triggers our muscles to work, to grow, to develop, is mechanical stimuli. Uh, for our brain, the same stimuli that helps brain work, uh, develop, uh, improve in time, mm-hmm. is basically the experience. And every experience is a multimodal um, element, okay? It's a multimodal kind of information. 
let's just say is based on external stimuli, is based on internal stimuli, and is based also on a third element, which is basically memory. So all the experiences that we made before, and that um, that um, thanks to that we learned how to understand, predict, and uh, um, approach to reality. So external, internal, and memory. So basically, if we want to trick the brain, we need to uh, to address to all these kinds of channels mm-hmm. that communicate with the brain. At the moment, in virtual reality, we use two main channels that are visual stimuli and obviously the the audio stimuli. We still lack a very important stimuli, which is haptics. It's not so easy uh, to to develop haptics able to to resemble to real haptics. Mm-hmm. Okay, obviously we have not also the taste. We have not also the the opportunity to to get uh, flavors, etc. It's something more complex, but. I think that with virtual reality would be very difficult to to achieve this this goals, and um, there are other technologies that are developed that are um, that are um, that have the goal to reach a deeper level of immersion, a deeper level of presence. Because I, I want just to to say two two elements: immersion is achieved with technology. Mm-hmm. The presence, the sense of, of virtual reality as a real environment is the perceptual consequence of immersion. Okay, so this is the immersion is on the side of technology, the presence is on our side. And mm-hmm. these technologies that, that, are, that I'm saying is uh, basically the, the BCI, so the brain-computer interfaces. I don't know if you heard about Neuralink. Yes, uh, the Elon Musk thing that... Exactly. Exactly. So I, I believe personally that could be the next steps beyond virtual reality because virtual reality is something non-invasive. This is very important to say. It's non-invasive. It's uh, it's providing us the stimuli and our brain is just percepting the stimuli as realistic. And obviously all all the all our experience is made by the brain. But Neuralink is going deeper, is going to provide a, an invasive interface which is linked to our brain providing all kind of stimuli and in that case i believe i don't know when how etc it's very complex to understand but i believe that that kind of interface would be able to provide haptics and any kind of other stimuli because it's acting directly to the brain it's not mediated virtual reality is still mediated it's very um is more complex than any other media mm-hmm. but it's still mediated yeah, the, the the main thing when we talk about that, in, I actually didn't think of Neuralink. Uh-huh. If we assume that we can get like a Neuralink kind of sensation, like several movies or games that have already been told about where someone gets, let's say, in touch with VR and you can basically control a full person. My main uh-huh. fear of VR and AR, it's once again on an intellectual level, is that someone can, uh, let's say... Control. I won't say control, but actually lose control. So is there a possibility? Obviously the the studies haven't been made because there's still no such technology on that deep level. But can someone, you get... Hack. Not hack the drugs. When you get too too many drugs, you get on an overdose. Overdose, overdose, yeah. So can you overdose on VR and AR? So can you overstimuli the the brain into shutting it down? And eventually when you get out of VR or AR, 
can you some way or another, I don't know, I don't have any data on this, of course, but can you, okay, let's let's take a step back. Let's assume AR. Mm-hmm. We, so, a, a, yeah. AR sure. and VR, but let's take on the AR first and then we can go into the VR. If, um, so, mm-hmm. let's think, Pokemon Go, you were basically walking around and you could see things jumping around. If you have someone with some kind of glasses or visors or something where you can see AR, if you can, if you eventually overdose people with that much information, can someone create or develop some kind of schizophrenia or something like that because of the overdose of stimuli? I think that, uh, so first of all, let's start with, uh, with science. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the moment we have not similar objective studies that can, uh, that can make us to say yes or not. Okay. First of all, no, because uh, similar studies needs time, needs a, a lot, a huge amount of people tested specifically for that. So we have not this data, but uh, AR is is a technology that is non invasive, that is definitely less immersive than virtual reality. Definitely less immersive, because you still see the the real world around you, and eventually you can see some digital elements inside. Okay. And it's more than AR, it's, it's mixed reality in, the, in that case. Um, I think that the possibilities of schizophrenia, etc., is not that the people are going to develop schizophrenia because of that. It's, but it's because, an underlying, already exactly, pre-existent... Exactly. Mm. If they have pre-existing uh, tendencies, genetic uh, issues, obviously, uh, that... Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Makes, makes developing schizophrenia very easier than other people that could be an issue for example it has not been studied mm-hmm. based on my experience but it can be an issue obviously but just like for everything even for i don't know from for smartphone use or computer use people with some pre-existing problems can develop specific uh like epilepsy and those other mental issues yeah i know i know i know yeah I'm, that makes sense mm-hmm. Regarding virtual reality, uh, the problem could be um, greater, obviously, because it's more immersive and there are more stimuli delivered directly to the to the brain. But um, even in this case, it's more to going. It's more based on pre-existing situations. It's in, it's not a triggering cause, but it can trigger pre-existing situations. Oh. Yeah, that, that, that was one of my fears. Yeah, I think that's one of the main things that whenever I think about either AR or VR, I think mm-hmm. that, I, once again, full lack of knowledge here, but I always assume that there might be an issue here that Obviously. people are not counting on because it's just such an interesting technology, which I completely agree. Another question. But then, oh, yeah, sorry. I want just to, j- just want to add one element. Um Every technology can be used in a good way or bad way, obviously. Of course, of course. And any, any technology can have issues and consequences. Mm-hmm. Just even even the, the, the normal Facebook, no, the social addictions, the social network addiction sometimes, or the smartphone addiction. So it's all depending on how we use technology and why we use technology. Because if, if people are going to use social networks uh, because of some personal problems in, in daily life they can develop addiction and it's not dependent from social network you just social network are just one of the main medium that they can use to express their addiction to something else 
So it, it can be with virtual reality in future, with augmented reality and, and so on. Wait, this is actually something that I don't hear a lot. So you're saying that social media as a addiction might not be an addiction itself, just to figure out if I'm hearing correctly. It's more of presents already underlying problem that it just got something to addict us on. Is that it? I think that we, we can um, divide and break down the addiction in different levels. Okay. So maybe people can have very uh, soft addictions to social networks because they are addicted to to that routine. Okay. Because we are addicted to routine. So if social network becomes the first element that we see at the morning, the last thing that we see at the evening, it is an addiction. No, mm -hmm. but maybe it is balanced by our life, but our uh, healthy life. But if someone has personal problems, I think, and if someone has uh, uh, work issues, etc., I think mm, social network can be the, the very easiest way to cope with that problem. Mm -hmm. no? Because it can be uh, a, a way to express all his problems in a digital community where there are no critics, no problems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are different levels of the problem. But at the same time, I think that at least scientifically speaking from what I've been reading, the mm -hmm. problem with the social media kind of addiction is more on the dopamine level, right? So you get, yes. you get a like, you get a comment, it's a dopamine rush and that then as an addict, an addictive hormone or chemical. Sure. Sure. People the, the crave it. Definitely, definitely is yes. that to say every feedback that we receive on the social, on the social networks is uh, triggering the release of dopamine, but obviously it's not a direct element that creates addiction. No, mm, okay, yeah, because, yeah. Uh, addiction is, is a huge word and to be really addicted, it needs more, more important issues behind. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So g going back to the VR thing, um, you, you said a few minutes ago that you're using on your product and we can go further into that, yeah. of course, that you're using VR in terms of medical data and that it, VR has been starting or has been studied since the 1950s, right? Yes. Um, so basically um, what we are doing with our technology is uh, supporting patients in pain management mm -hmm. and in the, the reduction of clinical anxiety in the stress levels that they experience during therapy. And uh, virtual reality from this point of view has been studied since the 80s, 90s, because in the 80s, the first studies has, have been made on the pain management by doctors like Hunter Hoffman in, uh, in the US, mm -hmm. where they develop, developed the first game to, to help patients with burns uh, to, to better cope with the, with the extreme pain delivering for the, from, from that situation. No? But and so, that, sorry to interrupt you, but the coping mechanism here is just that it distracts them or it provides them with specific stimuli that then they forget about it. What's the, what's the underlying? Sure. So, uh, in the most of cases, uh, we, we need to say distraction because it's the easy way, easiest way to understand it No, but it's basically, there is more science behind of it. Okay. Uh, a lot of researches are still ongoing. Mm -hmm. And what can I say is that starting from that first game that is called snow world, um, they, they understood also thanks to MRI data that the pain centers, the centers in our brain that are 
uh, interested in the pain perception mm -hmm. are literally switched off thanks to virtual reality. Ooh, and this is not just distraction. Um, the senses of the patients are engaged. Their focus, their, their attention is focused out of the pain, but their pain perception centers are switched off. And that is amazing. And that is, that is something that cannot be achieved using, for example, a normal, a traditional video game, because you need the presence, you need the immersion for that. So, yeah. That's fascinating. Absolutely, absolutely. It's something, uh, it's scientific. So probably there are uh, hormone pathways involved mm -hmm. that are able to reduce pain and not only during the virtual reality session. It was shown by researchers that the pain reduction thanks to virtual reality is long lasting even for 48 hours after 20 minutes of VR session. And that is amazing. That is amazing. So uh, you, you you can start to think maybe we can reduce the opioid crisis in the world, especially in the US, using virtual reality instead of painkillers. So because basically, instead of giving them a high of opioids, we just give them like a VR headset and prescribe them for 20 minutes a day. Exactly. Obviously, the, the final solution, the final formula of will the be treating the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's going to maybe not uh, cancel the, the usage of opioids, but drastically reduce. And just remember, opioids means reduction of pain, but also a lot of adverse effects, such as addiction, such as uh, longer hospitalizations and reduced satisfaction by patients. Okay, let's now turn on the, the skeptical human sure. connection. Mm -hmm. If you take out the opioids, isn't there going to be a backlash from the pharmaceuticals? Obviously, uh, it, it, it's it's not positive for them, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, but on the other side, uh, the use of virtual reality in the in the clinical pilot that has been have been performed in the US show that using virtual reality is not only reducing opioids, but it's also improving the revenue of the hospitals. Mm -hmm. So it will be a struggle, no? Because maybe the um, the pharmaceutical companies are going to reduce the selling of the opioids. On the other side, hospitals could increase their revenue. But let me add another thing. Of course, um, we we have been um, accelerated at the very beginning by companies like Merck, which is Germany, mm -hmm. pharma company. We have been also uh, awarded by another pharma company, Pfizer. Really? Just in Berlin, <laughs> the last year. So just think, and this is very, this is very important reflection. Uh, pharmaceutical companies ha have been described as drug manufacturers for more than a century. Now we have new tools to deliver therapy to, to patients, even digital tools, no digital health. So all the pharmaceutical companies are not working only on, on uh, classical drugs. They are starting to use digital health in their strategies. So just think that the future of pharmaceutical companies will not to continue to be uh, drug deliverers, drug providers, but therapy providers. Therapy mm -hmm. as a wall, therapy intended as a balance between drug 
material and digital support. So digital health is something very interesting for pharma companies. It's, it's, it's part of their strategy. So at the same time, we can assume that in uh, some period of time, mm -hmm. they will no longer be pharma companies, but they will be health companies. They will change their focus from pharmaceuticals to health. Is that it? It could be, it could be interesting. But uh, it could be interesting, pharma, but, but maybe, maybe it's not going to change the name, but we are going to change the idea of pharma. No? Mm. That pharma intended as something that is able to act on our body and uh, provide an effect. And it can act in a chemical, biochemical way through drugs or through a more sensorial, experiential uh, way, for example, with digital technologies. This is fascinating. Yes. Uh Okay, so another question that I have on VR. So I, everybody sure. knows that most of the technologies in terms of media at least have been make or break decided by the porn industry, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. The, the porn is always the first coming with new technologies and uses them for their business, obviously. And th the main idea that I have is that at least in terms of, let's say, great innovation, once again, in terms of technology on the media space, mm -hmm. If it's make or break, are you assessing that probably you can be creating a shift that no longer you need the, let's call it approval from the porn industry to make or break your own technology, the VR? Because I believe that in my own thought before this conversation, because I didn't know that there was so much good to be done in terms of the VR and the exchange of pharmacals, pharmaceuticals. But let's assume that VR porn never gets up to speed as people might want it to. Mm -hmm. Do you think that even still VR has the possibility to grow and let's call it, let's uh, to grow and to win in this media space without, let's call it once again, the approval of the porn industry? Yes, definitely. Yes. Even because um, uh, VR is, uh, is the next computational platform. So uh, first we had the computers, next we had the smartphones that changed everything. And now we are going to have virtual reality. So virtual reality is um, something that is disrupting every kind of field, of economical field. Just think about education. There are a lot of people starting to use virtual reality to educate remotely students because it's Nothing is better than experiencing directly something. So mm -hmm. you, can, you, can, you can look at videos, you can read books, but obviously when you can experience something, think about surgery procedures. Mm -hmm. When you can look and when you can do exactly the same thing in virtual reality, you can exactly understand how to make it. It's just like a, a workout for your brain. It can be used obviously for gaming, for gaming industry. So there are a lot of fields that will determine the success of virtual reality behind the, the, the porn uh, <laughs> uh, support, if you can say, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it makes sense that the only question for me is that being that VR is a media outlet mm -hmm. it's at one point, even if you have health things, of course, mm -hmm. I believe that a lot of people are assuming that VR will be more of a media outlet other than just health, right? Sure, sure, sure. But it's just like with the smartphones. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same. It's just, just a different way to, to experience media. Okay. In the smartphone, you, you can... So what is the difference, for example, between a smartphone and a computer? You can experience contents 
remotely while moving everywhere without any specific performances required from your uh, yeah. from your computer this is something that makes your creativity mobile uh, virtual reality makes your creativity immersive so you can deliver entire experiences that has a completely different level of effects on people and it, and it um, helps us to reach um, new peaks of creativity, productivity, collaboration, social interaction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Um, man, that this this is something that I was not expecting. The, the the health thing still the the pain management is still kind of kicking me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. They are amazing, but uh, it's just one of the pieces of the entire digital health application because. Just think about phobia. Uh, I want to make an example, okay. if I can. Sure, of course. Um, when I said before that we perceive the world with external, internal uh, stimuli and the memory, mm -hmm. uh, our brain normally uh, collects all this data and uh, inside of the brain, it realizes a sort of simulation of the world. Okay. So just think about it. You never perceive the world as it is. You only perceive the world as it is simulated into your brain. It's always mediated by your senses. Mm -hmm. So you are now perceiving a simulation, which is called a predictive model. You use the predictive model to understand if the world is uh, positive or negative. You use the predictive model to uh, catch opportunities on avoid dangers, obviously. But these predictive models, the way that you build these predictive models can lead to some issues, for example, phobias. So based on your previous experiences, you can, for example, be scared by spiders, no? Of course. And the, the spiders could be absolutely not dangerous, but you are scared by spiders. And this is dependent on your predictive model because in your brain, the sim in the simulation that you created about spiders, mm -hmm. spiders are very dangerous. They are big and fast and uh, they are scary. So virtual reality has been used to treat phobias. How? Because if your predictive model be, uh, comes from the experience, you can provide a digital experience that helps you better cope with that problem. For example, helps you um, get in touch with the digital spiders, mm -hmm. be uh, in a safe way. No, So it's not a real spider. You can touch a digital spider, you can approach a spider, and you can get used it. You can recalibrate your predictive model. This is very important mm. just like you can rewrite some words of your simulation and in this way when you come back to reality you are not so afraid by spiders because your brain has been a little bit reprogrammed thanks to virtual reality this is another application there are a lot of applications so in the health industry basically you can help people like yourself the creating a game for pain management, but other sure. coping mechanisms for people in the, let's assume ER or in intensive care. But at the same time, you can use it for clinical studies in terms of psychology and like you said, phobias. Absolutely. And many of the things that we can, we probably aren't even thinking about it right now. Even, even training in surgeons, you can see when you can, are making the right cut, you can see where you're doing stuff like this, right? Exactly. You can do that. And uh, remember, you can do that remotely. You can do that immediately in real time from China to US. 
remotely. And uh, you can help people reduce drastically the cost of the education because you can offer that experience not to one or to a limited group of students. You can do that to thousands or millions of students watching that content, for example, or experiencing that content. This is the revolution of education. When do you think, honestly speaking, when do you think this might start becoming more mainstream? Do you think that now with the companies being able to create their own unhelped, untooled headsets, do you think this will become more in the mainstream or do you think it's that we're still a lot, uh, a lot of years out of the... So, um, when I say it, uh, virtual reality started in the 50s and uh, he, its evolution in time uh, was a continuously wave, not positive and uh, bad moments. And the new revolution, the, the new wave started in 2012. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2017, the, the last year, people started to be a little bit bored because of the huge headsets wired to expensive computers. Mm-hmm. No? And a lot of people started to say, uh, maybe virtual reality is not going to be mainstream because of those headsets wired, expensive, blah, blah, blah. But so the, the selling of uh, the virtual reality a little bit decreased in time. Mm-hmm. And now, as I said, it's the the real year of the development of virtual reality because thanks to the headset, the, the virtual reality standalone headset, you can bring the headset everywhere. You have you are not you are mobile. Okay, you are mobile, you you, you can be nomad, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that now it depends from how technology will be improved in time, but maybe in two, three years. Virtual reality as a standalone technology would become very mainstream in, in every field, two, three years, on, based on my experience. Let's hope so. I mean, the, all the things that you just told me are very optimistic views of the applications of VR. So honestly, I think that's a, a great idea. Uh, well, one question. So from your accent, people pr- probably might understand that you're from Italy. Yes, exactly. Where are you from? <laughs> uh, I'm from, I'm, I'm living now in Pescara. Pescara. Which is uh, close to Rome. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm Italian. And what's your background? Um, I started my, my, my career as an academic researcher. I'm mm-hmm. a biologist. And then I continued as a PhD in neuropharmacology. So I worked in, uh, in France, in, in Austria, and in Italy too, uh, synthesizing chemically the, the drugs used for therapies. So I started exactly from the pharma, not from the material and wet lab laboratory work. Mm. And uh, since then, already during my studies, I started to be very passionate about digital technologies and how they can improve uh, the therapy and the medical assistance. And uh, I already worked in the, in the past Mm-hmm. with my colleagues on, on other projects, for example, using even the 3D printing to, to realize uh, biomedical projects, for example, prosthetics, for example, incubators, all 3D printed, mm-hmm. and all this using uh, remote collaboration and collaborative design through online platforms. So it was the, the first time we, we started to, to understand the potential of virtual collaboration and virtual reality too. We get in touch with a lot of virtual reality developers. And in that moment, we started to understand that virtual reality is, could be a, a huge uh, tool to be used in the, in the clinical settings. 
Okay, and what made you be passionate about the digital health area? Because as a researcher, I mean, I, th I think as a research environment, I think it's very fascinating, mm -hmm. but what made you take the leap? Sure. So um, I think that the, in the clinical settings behind the, the hardcore clinical needs, there are a lot of clinical needs that are unmet. Let's just say that the needs linked to psycho-emotional conditions of patients, their social relationships, the so-called patient's experience, mm -hmm. and, and also the patient's adherence to therapy. So when we started to analyze the digital solutions, digital technologies, we understood that maybe digital, digital health are not going to completely uh, fight, for example, cancer, okay? When we take into account, for example, artificial intelligence, yes, obviously. Mm -hmm. But a lot of digital health solutions are not going to fight a specific disease, but they definitely improve how the patients experience their therapy pathway. And that could be great because how patients experience therapy has an impact on their follow-up life. So, for example, children, they are stressed during therapy, and that stress will have a huge impact on their adult life. It will, it will increase um, the possibility to, 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 to measure specific diseases during their adult life. Problems, psycho, psychological problems, sociological problems. So if we support patients during therapy, it's also a, a work of prevention, psycho-emotional prevention for patients. So where everything changed? We started our work on that, and uh, in 2016, mm -hmm. we joined a hackathon uh, in Rome. It, the hackathon was the first hackathon in Italy organized by the German pharma company Merck. Incredible. From, from Darstadt. That was great. And uh, we were challenged to solve this clinical unmeet needs. And we were challenged in a 24-hour hackathon. So we work it day and night without sleeping and we were very tired we we, deli we re designed a lot of solutions but in the middle of the night when we were very tired very very tired mm -hmm. uh we developed the final idea but because the idea that you developed just to, just to figure out so, figure just, out, so just yeah let's assume that there are people that are working on their own corporate job or anything sure you developed like you literally coded the, the thing or you just uh, wrote something down on a paper what did you do to to present so let's assume that we have someone not there that's listening to our interview right now to our conversation and sure. wants to do something on something that fascinates them doesn't have to be necessarily health but let's apply this to any other industry what did you do in terms of the hackathon so the hackathon was 24 hour mm -hmm. so what we developed is was a visual demo about what we are going to do and uh, obviously, the, the very challenge was not the product in, in itself, but the business model behind of it. So how you, you, you are going to propose that project to improve the healthcare. Mm, okay. And uh, in the middle of the night, we comes up with the, with the name of the project and with the idea of the project. The project is Tommy. 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 And we developed the idea of uh, a virtual reality experience based on our experience in virtual reality and knowing how virtual reality can improve the psycho-emotional balance of the people mm -hmm. to be used and dedicated to 
pediatric patients, especially at the beginning to children with cancer in the hospital. So we thought about a virtual reality experience for children with cancer designed in collaboration, obviously, with doctors and psychologists mm-hmm. to reduce pain, reduce anxiety, or reduce the, the stress related to hospitalization, but at the same time, able to test the children, able to uh, collect data from their psycho-emotional well-being state and also about some key biometric uh, parameters, data that can be used by doctors to improve therapy efficiency, to adapt therapy to their needs. And uh, we yep. start so, to Sorry to interrupt point. you, just to figure out something. So basically, yep. you're, the, the, the game that you've, the, the, the project itself that you've now been using with uh, already some doctors and some patients, you're, the, the data that you're collecting is psychomotor skills. So you can say that if a person starts to move slower, you can see if their neurological deficiencies are getting greater. Is that it? Or uh, what kind of data can you, can you get of it? Sure. Uh, you said game. I started saying virtual reality experience just because um, we decided to propose the virtual reality experience as a game because it is uh, more motivating, it is more engaging in time for children. And first of all, it allows us to provide Tommy not seen as a medical device by children because children are scared by medical tests. Oh, that, that's, and, that's a great, that's great. I, I said game because I already knew that. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. But this is a, a crucial point, not because you can provide virtual reality experience even not as a game uh, for, uh, for clinical purposes. But um, we um, worked also in the hospitals, in pediatric hospitals, such as the Bambino Gesù in Rome, Mm-hmm. We discuss it with doctors, with the psychologists, with the patients, with the parents, and we understood which parameters we need to collect. So first of all, what the medical staff need? The medical staff needs data about the performances of children, mm-hmm. the performances that are impacted by neurosurgery, for example, or by chemotherapy. So for example, we analyze the, the motor coordination. Mm-hmm that can decrease because of, of chemotherapy. We analyze sensory skills, such as visual skills or hearing skills that can be decreased and impacted by neurosurgery. And we analyze also memory, for example, so cognitive skills, all elements that are normally tested in the hospitals, but they are tested with medical tests and they are tested every six, eight weeks during hospitalization. Mm-hmm. So imagine to collect Similar data constantly, almost every day during the hospitalization, not, not every six weeks, mm-hmm. and gain a, an easier access to, to, to the data, so to the parameters of children, understanding if there is the, an increase or decrease of the performances of children. And if there is a decrease, you can act immediately to change something in the therapy to improve therapy, for example, and adapt to the children. This is the first goal. And so the first project that you have live right now, it's Tommy Game. Mm-hmm. And Tommy, it's, yeah. it's a game applied for children. I assume it's a more of a children-esque narrative. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's, it's more um, uh, children um, with an age uh, between 8 and 14 years old. Okay, and is the idea that Software Studios eventually goes on and creates other kinds of 
Absolutely yes, absolutely yes. Uh, we have been already asked to deliver to, to realize projects about adult rehabilitation, uh, um, even regarding specific diseases that, that need specific treatments. So we can deliver um, even for adolescents or for adult patients uh, virtual reality experiences to um, help them cope with that specific treatments. So there are a lot of, of solutions that we are asked for here. And that, that's, that's unbelievable, man. Uh, so, sorry, it's just that I think that you have there a great opportunity to change even the outcome and the, 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 the big picture of health as we know it. I mean, it, it's not far to say that probably VR therapy, like you, like, you, mm -hmm. like we've just stated, can even change the idea of hypnosis because it's even a state of hypnosis because you're getting someone who's fully concentrated on a world that does not exist or in a deep centered mind and you mm -hmm. can get real time data on everything that they're doing. Definitely. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we spoke with people working on that too. And it's a, it's a very interesting field that one of the hypnosis, obviously it's, um, mm, it has to be used in specific uh, fields, for example, pain management, that could be very useful in that case. And phobia, like but, you said, right? And, and phobia too. Yeah. And phobia too. But phobia you, in phobia, you use more the so-called exposure therapy. You expose the people to the dangerous stimuli. Through VR. They, or exactly, through you VR, can also do VR. it without VR, but let's assume that even if someone is resistant on doing it right away, mm -hmm. because they do, let's say for example, agoraphobia, the, the, the fear of open spaces. Sure. If you don't want to give them an idea of giving them an open space, you can give them a VR platform when they can be, presented with a, with a thing, but all at the same time, consciously being aware that they're not in an open space. They're in an office with a psychologist and a VR therapist mm -hmm. right, right next to them. Exactly. 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 Even for example, the, uh, to, to, to help people train during speeches, public speeches, it's another solution. There are some people who, who are scared by public speeches and they can train virtual reality and helps because it's the brain still perceives the virtual reality as realistic. So if there are a crowd listening to you, you're anxious, <laughs> even in virtual reality. Whoa, and whoa, the man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm have a little bit of goosebumps just thinking the, the, the weird applications that we can have on a near future. <laughs> you, you can do business coaching. You can do speech therapy. You can have this in education. You can do this in sports. You can do this in everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. You can do very, very lot of things. And um, what I want to add to, 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 uh, to my speech is that uh, our vision, in our vision, virtual reality will be used in healthcare as a, as a digital cognitive tool. What we want to achieve with our software studios company is providing a virtual reality as a sensor. So a virtual reality coupled with artificial intelligence, able to sense your conditions, your emotional state, and adapt to your condition. Because this is the very challenge. The challenge is to provide an experience that is not standard, standardized for everyone, that is able to adapt to everyone. This is a potential that can be achieved. Sorry, can you repeat reality. that? Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Can, can you repeat uh, that part? Since, since the beginning? Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, it doesn't have to be because I listen. I just want to be, be sure that I listen to everything very carefully. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, our goal with Software Studios Company is to deliver a virtual reality as a sensor. So not a standardized uh, content for everyone, but 
a content that is able to adapt to the conditions of every user. And this can be achieved using, for example, virtual reality coupled and supported with artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence able to collect data about users' psychoemotional state, mm -hmm. process this data, and trigger virtual reality to change and adapt. Sorry, that this part is just, it's even more overwhelming. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more in depth, please? Sure. Uh, just based on our case, we, deli we uh, developed, and we are obviously continuously improving, we developed machine learning algorithms that are able to exploit the, the commercially available VR headset without any modification to collect and measure your heart rate. So when you are going to wear a VR headset, we are able to measure your heart rate and uh, integrate these algorithms in the VR content. So the VR content can change on the basis of your heart rate. Just imagine this, not only in healthcare, but in marketing, in every kind of entertainment too, in every kind of field. That is huge. <laughs> Yeah, th this information is just different. Or w once again, I was not expecting this. I'm learning a lot with this this conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, what what? Just to figure out. So, is the idea of Softcare Studios on the future is for you to give the hardware and the possibility of the software? But is the idea to open like a platform? Are you like the WordPress for VR in terms of therapy? Or what? what if you have to create like a, an analogy. Are you going to be creating every game or are you going to be opening a platform for other developers and other storytellers to create their own games? At the mo so we are not thinking about a, a platform at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, we are thinking to uh, propose a model. A model, just like I say, the virtual reality is a sensor. No? Mm -hmm. so, so a core model where, where virtual reality is able to collect biometric data and adapt on the basis of them. Uh, applied in the digital health sector. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That part I understood. Moment, uh, that part I understood. Moment, uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. At the moment, uh, we will develop specifically um, VR experiences for specific disease, target patients, etc. We are we are not thinking ourselves at the moment as a WordPress or for for other developers. Not not at the moment. But but let's assume that, for example, I'm the owner of a doctor and I'm listening to this owner of the doctor. Stupid. I'm the owner of a hospital or I'm a clinical therapist and I'm thinking, oh, this might be very interesting. I'm going to propose this for my, for my hospital or my clinic. Uh -huh. And then they say, yeah, but we don't deal with uh, kids from that, uh, that specific okay. age group. We would like to have more people over 70. Sure. So we just apply our, the same model mm -hmm. to the target patients represented by the, the elders. It's just another target patients. How we work is basically we go in the settings, we we uh, realize a need assessment, mm -hmm. and on the basis of the need assessments, we develop a specifically adapted VR, VR experience for them. Mm. So uh, there is a core, and there is a surface. In Tommy, the core is software studios. The surface are pediatric patients. So we can change the surface mm. using the same core. Once again, the... And I think that when you develop the surface, you have to take a lot of things into consideration. It's not only data Absolutely. from the Absolutely. from the age group, from this but the demographic, but you have to take into consideration even cultural appropriation. Not appropriation. You can have, you can still have to take into consider into consideration cultural information. 
an elderly person over 70 in Italy is going to have a much different experience from a 70-year-old person from Germany or from Portugal, from the US, right? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Uh, th this is a very uh, intriguing point. It's not obviously easy to, to target. Mm -hmm. At the moment, uh, you need to, to realize a compromise, no? an average experience for them. Okay, like an evergreen uh, content. Yes, but obviously, uh, that the cultural differences are very important. For example, in Tommy, uh, we are not using a specific language, Italian or English. Uh, we are using um, an intuitive design of the game where the, any child can understand what's going on based on the interactions and animations. So you, you we, can take the Sims approach where no one speaks anything, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Good. That's, that's, a, that, that's a good point. Yeah, if you don't have any language restrictions, once again, if we talk about even cultural differences may make a difference, no? Sure, sure. No, no, we are definitely, we definitely agree because when, when we worked in the hospital in Rome, mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of children coming even from, from the refugees camps. Obviously, in Italy, we have also this, this problem. And uh, uh, there are children from Middle East, from Africa, etc. So the, the, the language barrier was a very huge barrier. And we cannot develop a solution that takes into account only English-speaking people, uh, especially with children. So we de definitely defined this condition, the intuitive design. Okay, let's, let's now take a step back onto, uh, on this conversation. Uh, so you went, f you, you did research, like you said, you're doing pharma, pharma research on neural, what was the word? Sorry. Neural. Uh, neuropharmacology. Neuropharmacology. Thank you. Uh, so at the very beginning in my career, I studied how molecules act on our brain and developed molecules to act on our brain. <laughs> well, okay, you're way smarter than me already. Uh, <laughs> where did you learn? more about VR because this is a tech company. So I assume sure. you were not a programmer, you were not a developer, you were not a designer. Uh, I'm not. A, so in, in our team, we have nine people mm -hmm. and we cover pretty every field, every element you know, of the pipeline of the development. We have biomedical engineers working on the biomedical device section. We have game designers working on specifically the design of the game and experience. Mm -hmm. We have uh, uh, software and virtual reality developers working on that even since, since the past. We have business advisors. We have uh, uh, specifically VR technicians. But you also uh, need, I assume, so, sorry to interrupt you, you may also need some kind of anthropological and sociological advisors and some kind of consultants on that, that area, obviously. no? Obviously, yes. Uh, we work in strict contact also with the psychologists, with doctors, and we are building also and expanding our board of advisors with people working in, in the VR since for, for the last 30 years. So we had the opportunity to spoke with them to refine our project, to understand what are the pain and gains of our solutions. And uh, we went through three accelerator programs that are specifically dedicated to healthcare. So the first, the Merck, accelerator program in Darmstadt, next in the Texas Medical Center in Houston in the US, mm -hmm. which is the biggest medical center in the world. And uh, the program was definitely dedicated only to digital health. And we are now in Accelerate in collaboration with Copenhagen. So uh, we are continuously learning. We are going deeper in the, in the potential of virtual reality. Obviously, uh, what we are building is an interface now between the research, the biomedical device and uh, the, 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 how we can say, the smart business application. Because what I want to say is that there is a, a huge 
amount of knowledge about virtual reality in academia. But you know, in academia, also based on, on my experience, there are a lot of ideas, a lot of uh, informations, but they are diluted. They are not user friendly, if we can say, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the goal of a startup is to make all this knowledge very immediate in the experience to realize a product that is user friendly, uh, easy to, to use, easy to apply in the economics of the world. So the startups is definitely a, a bridge transfer of technology that is coming from the academia to the real world society. And it's something very needed. And from people who are doing that transition or wondering if they have what it takes to do this transition, mm -hmm. is there any book, any kind of main content that you've, that what's the main thing that you read or learned while doing your own transition? Uh, we read a lot of books. We definitely uh, had had a lot of references, but um, I, I would suggest, uh, for example, to to study a little bit the the researches by um, a psychologist, an Italian psychologist, which mm -hmm. is one of the pioneers of virtual reality in healthcare, which is called uh, Giuseppe Riva, mm -hmm. R I V E, which is uh, definitely propose groundbreaking visions and uh, researchers in virtual reality and digital health. This is this is a very good starting point because he's also specialized in very uh, immediate communication of all this stuff. And for people in other in other industries, let's assume that you went into a startup world, startup mm -hmm. startup land, which is not okay. necessarily only VR and health companies. So I assume that you're okay. probably using some kind of frameworks already used by other startups, right? Sure, sure. For example, one of the best books in the in the field is the Business Model Canvas. It's called a Business Model, model. Canvas. It's, it's the it's Business a, Model Generation, the book, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's it's very good book because it's a business model canvas are a good framework to start and develop any ideas. It's not only startup, even if you, if you have a blog, you need to go through the business model canvas to understand who is your audience, how to reach them, etc, etc. So it's very good starting point in this world. Okay. The, the and uh, the best book are people. Talk with people, <laughs> talk with people, talk with the startuppers, with entrepreneurs and learn from them. I really loved, I'm not kidding. I just love that, that quote he just said, the best book are people. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, okay. One, another question. So what drives you? This is a very weird question, but what made you do the transition? from the research environment to the applicable application, doing something, what drives you, what, what's been driving you, what's been, sorry, what's been driving you to do this? What's the main goal behind your. Sure. So, uh, first of all, personal passion, first of all, obviously. But was, sorry to interrupt you, but was there something in your family and this is, this is too personal. We can cut it out from the interview, mm -hmm. but was was there any kind of personal presence or something that made you become passionate about this thing was there something that you experienced when you were younger or when you were growing up no it's more it's more a, a very life <laughs> lifelong passion about these technologies and um, uh first of all i think that the innovation comes from contamination okay so 
you innovate when you connect fields, different fields. So uh, I uh, experienced the academic world. Mm-hmm. And I'm now experiencing the startup and, and the entrepreneurial world. They're pretty different worlds and they have pain and gains. No? So it's it's very nice to connect them because sometimes when you build startups, you need more data and the more scientific approach that that, that is available in the academic world. Mm-hmm. But as I said before, in the academic world, sometimes you uh, miss the, the smart approach to, to problems, to develop solutions. So it's great to have a, a scientific approach like in academia, mm-hmm. but develop it and apply it in a very smart way as it is in the startup. So I, I like to link, I'm passionate about technologies and I'm now in this field to, to have an impact with our solutions. Okay, makes sense. What's the most difficult thing that you've encountered? So like you just said, you've done the transition, you've been passionate about technology, you've been passionate about academia and you're in the technology part. What's been the most difficult thing you've found or you've been finding about what you're doing right now? Um, the, the most difficult is to, to link exactly the innovation with the, um, with the for example, um, not to link, but to fit the solution, which is, good solutions for patients with the economical cycle sales of the hospital. This is a very challenge of every digital health startup because digital health deals with problems that until now they have been uh, very foggy. Okay, for example, the patient's experience. Now you can measure the patient's experience and now you can understand how the patient's experience is linked with the revenue of the hospital. So. Uh, to to develop a solution which is sustainable and uh, useful for the hospital too, you have to develop innovative business models. You have to understand the the sales side um, the the sales cycles of the hospitals and fit your product in that. This is a very challenging uh, point, uh, I think, for every digital health startup. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that as as a health or digital health startup, it is my belief right now that I'm thinking that your always facing a Satan trifecta because you have to translate always the medical English or the medical Italian, the tech and the business part. So you're always continuously translating three parts. Sure. Sure. And you have to simplify a lot. So you have to simplify huge problems. (laughs) You have to simplify huge problems on the business side, but you have to complicate once again for the tech part, but you have to even go even deeper on the medical part. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Them. But, it, but it's going to become a routine in some years. Obviously, now it's the pioneering phase. <laughs> and that's why we're in the pioneer show, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, let's now jump into the fire rounds. I, I think I've already told you this, but this is how sure. it's going to go. So I'm going to ask you something, and you have one minute to answer them. You agree? Good. Yep. Okay, what's the book you've given out the most? It's... um. It's a business model generation. Let's go through this because it's a good starting point if you talk about startups. Okay, perfect. Um, what's the tool you wouldn't be able to live without right now? What's the app? What's the, the tool? The app that I definitely need now is Trello. It is very useful to organize the work in the team, even if the team is remote. So it's very smart tool for startups. You use any kind of framework for, for Trello? Any kind of thing that you use or just like... This is what has to be done. Let's tackle it. 
Um, we adapt a little bit the Trello to our needs, so we organize it in lists based on our work, but it's, it's the basic Trello. Okay. If you started today from scratch, you just finished university, the PhD, mm -hmm. let's assume now, because you're a very studied person. If you started today from scratch, you had all your knowledge, you just finished university and you have like 500 years with you, where would you focus right away? You have all your knowledge, you have all your current knowledge, but none of the experience. So uh, I would definitely start to study coding, mm -hmm. 3D design and game design. <laughs> and I would definitely focus again on digital health and uh, space industry because I think they are correlated. Space industry? Yeah. Why space industry, if I may ask? Because uh, just imagine... The, the astronauts are going to to experience very long travels and I think that they cannot have always all the health support that they have on the earth. Mm -hmm. Just imagine digital health is the future of health in space and I'm very passionate about both of them. Interesting. I don't know if you saw, but uh, I saw a pod I heard a podcast the other day from the Joe Rogan Experience and they were talking mm -hmm. with an astrophysician that... Mm -hmm. For recruitment purposes, everybody that goes through the recruitment process has to do a VR game in order to be admitted according to their own knowledge. They don't want just a theoretical knowledge, but they want some practical knowledge, assuming that that was practical. But now with the VR game, they can be even practical in that area. Did you know about that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. We also spoke with some people from NASA also while staying at Houston. So definitely the, VR is huge in the NASA now. So Houston was not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> uh, tell me something you've changed your mind in the last six months. In the last six, six months? Yes. Uh, hmm. uh, my mind was changed by the, my staying and travel during the, the accelerator program in the U.S. Because U.S. was a very groundbreaking experience for me. It was uh, the opportunity to stay where the innovation is built exactly in the U.S., for example, in Houston, in the Texas Medical Center. And it was nice to see uh, how everything is possible if you have a good plan for that. And it changed a lot. Good. Last question in terms of, the, um, of these fire rounds. What's the best thing has anybody ever done for you? Uh, it's a... Support, emotional support when I'm in what I'm doing, and definitely uh, the the network availability. People who are willing to to speak uh, with what we are doing, people willing to connect. So people willing to connect and supporting us, it's a great thing. Very well. <laughs> now it's time for the plugs, uh, Valentino. Where can people find you? So um, they can find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Definitely add me on my profile or they can visit our site, which is www.tommygame.com. Tommy with two M's and I, so T-O-M-M-I game.com. Exactly. And, uh, or, or they can visit our social network pages on Facebook, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Always link it to Tommy Game. Tommy Game with, once again, T-O-M-M-I game. Exactly. Well, Valentino, it was a great time having you here at the Pioneer Show. Thank you very much for the conversation. I must say that this has, might have been one of the most favorite conversations that I've had on and off podcast because I learned 
I think I almost have now a PhD myself in VR, which it's I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for, for being lot. here. Thanks a lot, Andre. Thanks for the audience. I hope to be very useful for all the listeners. Let's hope so. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for plugging into this conversation. Was this episode great or was it great? Were you as shocked as me about some of the things that Valentino said about the effects of VR as on our brain? Amazing. I hope I'm here to witness their business flourish and I truly hope they keep working on what it is for me a very impressive idea. Any information that you might have missed will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows and we can get more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their lives and careers. If you enjoyed this conversation, let me know. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes or on any other application that you might be listening to this podcast. Once again, it was really, really a great pleasure having you over there. Have a great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.